You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. In there, and that does it. History in the desert. The Texas Rangers, for the first time ever, are World Series champs. I want to run away and hide for a few days. I want to go camping and just sit in the tent and, and suck my thumb. Why I inherited this is, is beyond me. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Thursday. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, yeah. good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Uh, guest list today begins at 6.30. Ian Mendez from The Athletic in Ottawa is going to join us. Fairly eventful day for the Ottawa Senators <laughs> yesterday. Uh, they got their... We are your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Uh, Ian Mendez works for The Athletic in Ottawa, where he's a Sens B-writer. We'll talk to him about everything that happened yesterday. The chronology of it from our perspective, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but we got off the air. We got news that the Ottawa Senators were going to be punished by forfeiting a first-round draft pick for the botched Evgeny Dadanoff trade. Then we booked Ian. Then they fired Pierre Dorian. Mm -hmm. What a day. Yeah. What a whirlwind. Pierre, uh, sorry, Pierre. Ian Mendez is going to join us at 6.30. 7 o'clock, Adnan Burke, MLB Network. The Texas Rangers are your 2023 MLB World Series champions, and in doing so, have escaped baseball sad club. Congratulations to the Texas Rangers. You're out. The Padres, the Mariners, and the Brewers are on the clock now. That's it, eh? Yeah, that's it. Oh. Yeah, the Rockies and the Rays are uh, the San Jose Sharks of Major League Baseball. Basically, they might get there, but you got to earn it. Speaking of the it. San Jose Sharks, good segue, Jason. 7.30, Curtis Pashelka, San Jose Sharks beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, is going to join uh, the program. He covers the worst team in hockey. There's no other way of looking at this other than the San Jose Sharks are abysmal. They have yet to win a game this year. Did I just jinx it? I don't know. We'll move along. 8 o'clock. Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver is going to join us on the program. We're also giving away Canucks tickets and Kiss tickets again. It went okay yesterday. <laughs> I felt like for some of you it was a challenge. Here's how it's going to work. Canucks tickets, Monday, November 6th against the Edmonton Oilers. Yes. Oh, those are big tickets. Those are huge. Yeah. You're going to, uh, now, Kiss is two nights later. Wednesday, November 8th, also at Rogers Arena. If you want... The Canucks tickets. You put a ticket emoji into your what we learned, 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you want the KISS tickets, you put a musical note into your what we learned. Dunbar Lumber text line, 650. 650. Everyone got it? Great. 
Working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it's Drancer, 7.30, Curtis Pashelka, 7 o'clock, Adnan Verk, 6.30, Ian Mendez. That's the show. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. We will begin with the aforementioned first time today, World Series. The Texas Rangers, in fairly muted fashion, took care of Arizona in five games to capture the 2023 World Series. 63-year franchise history, 50-plus in Texas, and they finally escaped the SAG club. So good on the Rangers. Yeah, it was a good t- uh, pitching battle yesterday, but uh, it didn't feel particularly dramatic just because the Texas Rangers had that 3-1 lead. Um, yeah, it was a disappointing World Series, let's be honest. The matchup uh, wasn't uh, too exciting or too enticing for the for the masses. I'm sure people in Texas are or at least in the Dallas area, are pretty excited about the result. Uh, I'm sure people in Arizona were happy to be there, uh, but it was a disappointing World Series. Texas gets out of the sad club for what it's worth, right? I mean, that was the main storyline for uh, for us. No, but I think when, when it actually happened, it was like, for the first time ever, the Texas Rangers are World Series champs. Um, there were a couple other good stories, though, along the way. Uh, Bruce Bochy, the manager, uh, Corey Seager, who came over from L.A. that He was the MVP of the World Series with the Dodgers. He was the MVP of the World Series with the Texas Rangers. Uh, I don't really want to spend too much time on the story to be like, I know we're going to start with it just because it's the World Series winner and it feels like a big story. But I think there are bigger stories for our fans yesterday than the World Series. You mean like JT Miller speaking? Yeah. That was the other big takeaway from yesterday was JT Miller finally met with the media. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So yesterday, for those who missed it, JT Miller was supposed to be on our show at 730. We'd booked him in as a guest. And then everything on Halloween night transpired as it transpired. He got benched briefly, came back, scored a goal, didn't meet with reporters after the game. And then didn't come on the show with us. I kind of thought that that was going to be it. I was like, okay, you know what? It sucks. Wish we would he would have come on, but we kind of get why it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Whatever. The conversation really kind of lingered and continued. I guess some other media folk had complaints about it as well. So I was a little surprised to see the story still percolating. And then it ended with this punctuation point yesterday where he did meet with the media and he was pretty hot, I suppose, and I, that can be taken in a lot well, of ways. He, was, yeah, he wasn't hot with the media. He was just he, he admitted <laughs> pretty that, hot in general. Like he, he admitted what we all saw, right? He, he, we all saw it. He lost his composure during the game. He was in me. I don't know in a bad mood or something. He lost his temper. He was running hot. Took some bad penalties, and Rick Tockett said, "Cool down on the bench." Um, so let's move on from that because, frankly, you know. I don't really want to talk too much about it unless it rears its ugly head again, right? Sure. Like unless 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 it's unless it's a unless it's something that comes up again and JT Miller is benched again. Um, what do you I, have to say about I, it? I thought the takeaway was what we went over yesterday that as long as this is about accountability and holding people's feet to the fire and having a higher bar, higher standard across the organization. 
then I got nobody should have any problem with any of this. We have bemoaned the lack of professionalism, the lack of results, uh, the lack of meeting pressure with pressure, fire with fire, iron with iron, all that stuff. If this is a nod in that direction, then everyone should be on board with it. Like, I understand that people have jobs to do and people needed to talk to JT Miller after this blip mid-game, but the reality of it is, this is a good thing. Like, I am not usually the positivity beacon. Neither of us are, quite frankly. But I have been really impressed with the way that this team and this organization have conducted their business at the start of this season. I I like a lot of what I've seen. I like the response from the Philadelphia game. I like the record. I like the fact that a bunch of other teams that they may be competing with for a playoff position are in the tank. It's a good thing right now. Let's go around the National Hockey League from last night. As I mentioned, several teams that would be in that aforementioned, there it is again, playoff positioning. Uh, The Calgary Flames lose again last night. Six loss in a row. Ottinger, 43 saves. Uh, Jamie Benn, goal and assist for Dallas. So it's a 4-3 win for Dallas over Calgary. It is getting to potentially panic time for the Flames. I know they had the report the other day after Eric Francis came on our show talking about how all contract talks and extensions have been put on hold. I'd be very curious to see how much longer this goes in Calgary and when they start making moves as opposed to just wringing their hands over a slow start to the season. You know, after the World Series was over, I flipped over to the Flames game and I'd been watching a, a little bit of it. Um, and it was, you know what, believe it or not, between Calgary and Dallas, I know the bar is low for entertainment, but it was a pretty entertaining game. Um, the Flames played better than I've seen them play in the last few games. But they still just like, when they need a goal, they cannot get it. So they went into the third period. They were down 4-2, and they did score to their credit to make it 4-3. But then near the end of the game, you're just like, they're not scoring. Mm. There's no chance. And what I thought was really noteworthy was they had a 6-on-5. Six and five, six on five. They pulled the goalie, obviously needed the goal. Mm-hmm. Guess who wasn't out there? Jonathan Huberto. I knew the answer. Jonathan Huberto. And he'd had a couple shifts um, right before, and the Flames had actually had a power play. And every time, for the most part, he got the puck, he looked like his hands were broken. Like, <laughs> honestly, he could not make a play. Yeah, He was either just like, it was like bouncing off him, or he was so easily checked off the puck. He just looked unsure of everything everything he was doing and the head coach Ryan Husko obviously saw that and he saw that the the young kid Connor Zeri who was making his NHL debut last night deserved to be on the ice more than he did Huberto did mm-hmm. on the six and six on five and that's the storyline out of Calgary like this kid that was making his NHL debut made more of an impact and played better like overall just played better than the 30-year-old on the massive contract. Yeah, so I dove into a little bit of Calgary Flames Twitter and checked out some of the hits that local media folks were doing. And there's two major storylines at play for Calgary right now. And one is what they're going to do with these anchor contracts that both Huberto and Nazem Kadri, who also has been incredibly underwhelming, we've talked about it a lot, what they're going to do with those two moving forward, if they can do anything with them moving forward, and then the notion that it's November 1st, They are 10 games into the season, and there's already major, major red flags about keeping this group together. 
despite the fact that they went into this season with renewed optimism that a new coach and maybe even a new general manager and somehow minus Tyler Toffoli was going to right the ship here. Mm-hmm. The things that we said and the thing that I said in particular going into this season was, hey, I don't think that what happened last year under Daryl Sutter was a Daryl Sutter thing. I think what you saw was a lot of guys on the wrong side of 30 going into the decline. And there was three in particular, Kadri, Huberto, Markstrom. Markstrom's had an okay year. He's had a bounce back to a certain degree. But I think what you're seeing is you talked about Connor Zary stealing late game minutes <laughs> from Jonathan Huberto's. You're seeing a guy that's probably played his best hockey. And that's a scary prospect because his eight-year deal kicked in this season. He has to be able to be better than what I saw last night, though. Does he? Yeah, he does. Does he? There has to be something that they can do or he can do to play a little bit better. I don't know, Mel, but like overall, they're screwed. The Calgary Flames are screwed, and I and they have, you know, when the Canucks were screwed last last year, I remember in that situation, there was at least that notion out there that well, they got Quinn Hughes. They got Elias Pettersson, right? And these guys are young players with very high potential. And and the, not only potential, like they were playing well. Mm-hmm. You know, Pettersson had an incredible season and so did Hughes from an individual standpoint. JT Miller had a good season at the end of the season. Like he was producing at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. So they had this. What do the Flames have? Connor Zary. Yeah, they have Connor Zary. <laughs> Yeah, they got Connor Zary and Dustin Wolf. And they've got two really bad contracts that would be immovable at this point, I would say. Like the Flames, to me, are... I know a lot of people are comparing them to the Canucks last season in terms of their start. The Flames, to me, are the Canucks in 2015. Right? When you realize, okay, whatever window they had, it is over. Now, the big thing that the Flames could do differently than the Canucks in 2015 is start selling off assets now. That's going to be the fascinating thing because I'm not sure a lot of people saw Calgary, at least when they made the moves they did this summer, as a bona fide seller, either leading up to the deadline or earlier than that. But Conroy has a super difficult decision ahead, and he's kind of drawn a line in the sand by saying they're not going to have a Goudreau 2.0 situation. Be very Because you know if Calgary starts selling and they start positioning themselves for the future, that's one less team in the Pacific Division that you need to worry about competing for a playoff spot. Okay, talking about... Uh, frustrated fan bases, upset franchises, the Ottawa Senators. We've left the most dysfunctional for last here. So I'm going to go about this again in chronological order. Shortly after we got off the air yesterday, the NHL announced that Ottawa is going to forfeit a first-round draft pick for their role in an earlier trade involving Jenny Dadanoff. They sent him to Vegas, and then a year later, Vegas tried to send him to Anaheim. Now, the hang-up in all of this, and we had some people texting in, being like, what's exactly going on here? Essentially, former Sens GM Pierre Dorian did not tell Vegas that if Jenny Dadanoff had a no-trade clause when they traded him. Vegas had no idea. Did they determine that was intentional, that they didn't tell him? They were classifying it as almost like gross malpractice. Like, you maybe didn't do it intentionally, but you should have known better. Like, why'd you leave that scalpel inside of that guy? That kind mm. of malpractice, right? <laughs> right. And <laughs> it's like, you, you got to know better than that. You can't just sew him back up. So when Vegas, and I suppose to a lesser degree, Anaheim, were rightly livid about their trade being nullified, they went back to the NHL and said, hey, you need to take a look at this. We're pissed off. 
Anaheim was trying to make a trade, and it couldn't. Vegas was left with this really weird situation where they traded again, and then they're like, ah, on second thought, just come back and hang out for a little bit before we ultimately get rid of you again. Right. Very awkward. So, in a... And it makes the league look pretty amateur. So, that was the other thing, is that given the stiffness of the penalty, this is obviously something that doesn't happen often or ever. I don't know the shenanigans and backroom dealings of executives and how trade calls sound, but the basic crux of it was when they were supposed to tell Vegas what was going on, they didn't. As such, Ottawa got dinged pretty heavily. So they're like, okay, this is going to be an interesting thing to monitor. I wonder what the future for Pierre Dorian has in store. It's like 29 minutes later, Pierre Dorian is fired. It was later classified as a mutual parting of ways, but he was shown the door in Ottawa. It because- sounds like they all went out to dinner. Uh, Ann Lauer and Pierre Dorian and Steve Stayhouse. And like over dinner, they, they determined like, Pierre, you got to step down. Mm-hmm. He's and, not going to need a dessert menu. Yeah. He doesn't need one. Ann Lauer was like, I was like, I'm trying to think of a penalty. And I think the penalty is you've lost your job. So that in itself was a pretty big development there. The, the penalty and then the subsequent firing. Then Michael Ann Lauer, who I'm going to be honest, I did not know a ton about. Didn't know about his personality. Didn't know what he was like. I don't remember learning a lot about him during the bidding process for the Senators. And then ultimately when he won it, he got up to the microphone and he was spitting hot fire like a young Dylon. He was angry. He was pissed off and he was uh, firing off in a lot of different directions. We've got about a minute of audio here. This is sort of like Ann Lauer's greatest hits or some of the better clips from yesterday. Uh, expressing his frustration with the Dadanoff situation, Pierre Dorian, the NHL's handling of the situation, and more. Here is Michael Anlauer, Sen's owner, after yesterday's wild day. Two disturbing phone calls from the NHL, uh, which has resulted in uh, a young prospect being suspended for 41 games, and today the announcement of the loss of a first-round draft pick. I think a lot of fans are wondering why you should have to, this organization, have to pay for something that happened 18 months ago, not even on your watch. What would you say to that? I totally agree with you. I have, you that's, an, that's a question you have to ask the NHL, why it took a, a whole year since the hearing. Granted, it was a two-day hearing, 73-page reports. It's not something that's just slam dunk. Uh, I, you know, and the commissioner had a lot of time to deliberate on it and, and, and think about it. But why I inherited this is, is beyond me. I don't understand why it's taking so long, but I, maybe maybe because the, the, the club was for sale and they didn't want to disrupt, you know, so making sure the seller got the biggest price possible. I don't know. <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm not. That, 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 that is an interesting thing to throw around. Yeah. Like that, just that su- suggestion that the league was in cahoots with the sellers, the Melnick estate. Mm-hmm. Um to basically get the deal done. And you can imagine if like, if this was a house, they were like, don't tell them about the plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know it used to be a grow up? Yeah. Don't say that either. There was, there was some real, real red flags coming out of this. And look, like, I, I wonder, like there's some people out there that are like, is, is Michael Andler going to get fined for his comments? Can you imagine? Can you imagine um, if you get the, like the Pinto suspension and then you get the doc, the first round draft pick and then, oh, and by the way, for your comments about all that, you have also been fined. I feel like you the, lose your second round draft pick. I, now. I know. I know some people were doing that like tongue in cheek and other people were like, no, I'm serious. I, I think the NHL might just give him a pass here because he's got a bunch of valid points. Does he not? 
Yeah, I think he's probably a little bit upset with himself too that he didn't know about that um, because I think he was relying on the seller's information. Like they were saying, yeah, the the whole dad enough situation probably not a big deal, right? And and he was like, uh, well, it was a big deal because it cost us a first round draft pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he's a little upset that he didn't complete his due diligence, or maybe he should have gone directly to the league and asked them about this dad enough situation. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm maybe the league says, okay, I understand. If I bought a team and I had these things thrown at me right away, mm-hmm. um, but this is all part of what like he's going to have to do in Ottawa. Like they, we all know they didn't run a tight ship there. Yeah, we all know that they were not run like a serious franchise. Things kept on cropping up, like the number of things that have happened over the last whatever decade. And, you know, from not getting, you know, like they were trying to build a new arena and that would constantly fall apart because Melnick would like have a fight with the mayor or something like Mm -hmm. that. And then they had all sorts of, just people would come to the organization and then they'd leave the organization. It was just like, you could tell, you could tell that this was not a organization, a franchise that was run well. Mm -hmm. And I was joking around yesterday on Twitter. I was like, this is like the plot of the money, of the money pit, you know, like which People probably only know now from like the Family Guy clip, which is like, I love the money pit, right? After, yeah, yeah. But like the whole idea of the money pit was like, it was like, it was made back in the 80s. It was Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. They were trying to turn Shelley Long into a movie uh, star after like her cheers stardom. Don't forget about Joe Montaigne. and, And it was like this couple that bought this house and they thought they got this great deal on a house and, it turned out like there was like all these things that were wrong with the house. Like that's why it was called the money pit. Like I wonder how much stuff Michael Ann Lauer is going to discover. I'm not talking about like big stuff like Shane Pinto or big stuff like getting docked a first round draft pick, but like buying this business and being like, is this seriously how you guys operate this thing? Like, is this, are, are, is this, are we, is this real life right now? How you guys are running this, this team? So according to uh, Ian Mendez from the athletic in Ottawa, who's going to join us on the other side of the break here. Um, and Lauer did not know at all about the Shane Pinto situation. By the way, that was a hilarious footnote to yesterday. Everyone was like, also, yeah, the Shane Pinto thing. We should ask you about that. So he did not know about that during the, during the sale process. He did know about the Dadanoff situation, but according to multiple sources of Ian's, the potential penalty was minimized every time that either he or one of his representatives brought it up. So I think where you're getting all of this anger yesterday was how was this framed to me as an issue but not a big one? And then as he said, and we didn't have the clip, unfortunately, but he's like, I would say losing a first-round pick is a pretty big deal. Like He's a hockey guy. He understands the significance of this, and I think more importantly, he understands where the Senators are in terms of reputation because this isn't just about all the dysfunction within. And Lauer made a point of saying, we pissed off two other NHL clubs and embarrass the league. And that's a problem because those are stains that aren't easily scrubbed away. And that's part of his job now as owner is to try and put a new coat of paint on it. It was other money pit. You got to put new appliances in, right? All these other money pit analogies here. This is what they've got to do is they have to rebuild um, an organization that's kind of in tatters. And if you thought that it was going to change the moment ownership took over, well, you're wrong because there was a lot that got inherited there. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. And what we just have to call Thomas Grant's erotica. 
8.03 on a Thursday. Best part of the song right here. All due respect to your vocal stylings. You like the little uh, keyboard patch there? It's pretty good. Yeah. Halford and Ruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Mercifully, Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. I say mercifully because it was a very challenging opening two hours for the Halford & Bruff show. We had technical difficulties... I think we had a little bit of seasonal affective disorder going on. We looked outside and it was, it wasn't great. We were not happy. <laughs> we were gritting our teeth. We were sad. We were angry. We were frustrated. I don't know what you're talking about. I love this weather. Shut up, Andy. <laughs> Listeners were texting in. They were sad. You they are were... so close right now. Yeah. You are so close. That was not the time. Me. Do not push me, boy. Do not push me right now. I'm working through something here. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a tough morning, right? People wanted to hear the Halford and Bruff show. They couldn't. I was getting texts on my... People were texting me personally asking if everything was okay. There was some PTSD from the last time that we went off the air. You remember that one? We never came back or we didn't come back for a while. So with all that said, we're good now. Mm -hmm. Everything's okay. We got one final hour to really pull it together (laughs) and salvage this train wreck of a show. And it starts with our next guest, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver, uh, right here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Drancer? No pressure, but you got to save the entire thing. Go. Let's go. Uh, you know, so it is winter today, right? Like today was felt to me like the first day of winter, which is appropriate because it's November 2nd, right? Like right. Calendar mm-hmm. hits November and immediately Vancouver is just like blanketed in gray and rainy whereas it feels like just yesterday i was like at the dog park (laughs) in like a jean coat very very pleased with 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 life and my circumstances and now i'm like okay gore-tex for the next six months let's go pretty much like it's i went to go get a a beverage during the break and i looked outside and i'm like is it eight o'clock in the morning because it is incredibly (laughs) dark and incredibly bleak Uh, not unlike the outlook for the san jose sharks god that was a clever oh my god yeah that was really well done we just talked to we just thought we'll start with the opponent because we just talked to curtis pichelka from the bay area news group and he pretty much summed it up he's like yep it's bad it's really bad yeah they've had a tough schedule to start and yeah it hasn't uh this team was designed to lose but oh eight and one going in tonight this is a bad san jose sharks team yeah, if you think Vancouver winter promises six months of unrelenting gloom, I introduce you to the San Jose Sharks season. Well done. This, this is a team with a chance to be historically bad. It's not just that they haven't won yet. It's that they've actually been like full value for it, right? This isn't like usually a team that starts out like this. Like you look at Calgary, right? Calgary has, started, uh, has had a nightmare start too. At least they've won a couple games, but you know, they're like shooting 4%, right? Their goalies can't stop a beach ball. Like everything is going against them. Um, even, even as they're at least able to control play for long, long sections of the game in San Jose, it's like, no, they're not unlucky at all. They're just as bad. Um, that's a really bad sign. Like this is, this is a team with a chance to challenge, you know, some of the historic 
bad teams we've seen, you know, and, and I'm going to associate these teams with the coaches, but truly they weren't the coaches faults. Uh, like the Ted Nolan Sabres. Uh, well, that was the McDavid year, right? The, um, the Jared Bednar's first season in Colorado avalanche. I don't even think they got to 50 points. Mm-hmm. Like this very much looks like a team that could be in that mix historically bad. And the Canucks play them four times before Christmas. Right, which is a heck of an early Christmas gift for a team that's already built and stacked themselves up some some points here, right? That's a, that's already off to that you know long elusive hot start. I think right, uh, six six two and one in October. I think we can call this the good start that this team was looking for, like officially now. How so, surprised are How surprised are you at the Canucks start? Yeah, I, I mean. It's been really good. Like I, I did I see six two and one coming? Definitely not. But six two and one is always within the realm of possibility. Um, when you know you you come out of the first month of the season, you sort of hit the first turn, and you've got the highest combined save percentage and shooting percentage in the league five on five. Like yeah, you're gonna you're gonna win games. Um, this team's got the goaltending talent and the shooting talent to run hot. We've seen them run hot for half seasons. Like, you know, we've seen them run hot for 50 games, 56 games. I think the Boudreaux bump was how long? 57 games, right? So, I mean, we've seen this team run hot. That That's always a possibility. Um, you know, I, I wasn't proselytizing like I wasn't out there evangelizing that this team was a a no doubt playoff team for sure I didn't see that coming but I did think they'd be better I thought I I bought the talk bump a lot more than I bought the Boudreaux bump a a couple years back so you know this this was certainly possible what's what's sort of interesting to me is you know I've been thinking about this a lot like I still don't know what this team's middle level looks like, you know, like, like as a, a, let's call it like a base rate. Mm -hmm. I don't know what this team's base rate looks like because I feel like like I've seen, we've seen nine Canucks games now. Right. And I would say we've seen four and a half where they've just looked fantastic, right. Where they've looked like a team, you know, that that should be taken really seriously. Right. I'm thinking about the first Nashville game, the St. Louis game, the game against the Rangers, right? So that run of three games, throw in the home opener against the Edmonton Oilers, and then the first half of the game that they played in Sunrise, right? So it's four and a half games in which they've played fabulous hockey. And then there's four and a half games, and, you know, Philly, the Nashville game the other night, uh, the Tampa game, the second Oilers game, and the, and the second half of the game against Florida, where... I think they've relied a lot on good fortune and bounces and goaltending and, and, you know, fortunate finishing luck, frankly, uh, in order to amass a record that at this point in the season is elite, especially when you combine it with a goal differential that's among the league leaders. Right. And so, you know, (laughs) there's like still an inconsistency in their game, I Mm -hmm. guess. It just hasn't shown up on the results. The results have been consistent. They've won nearly every game, but the, on form, I still feel like I don't know what I'm getting from this Canucks team night tonight, and that suggests to me anyway that, you know, 
I, like I don't think they're a full value six two and one. Right? You know, pe- I, I people think, will, yeah. just hold on a sec, Drance. Like people are going to say, like, oh, this is typical Drance being negative, but like this is exactly what Rick Tockett is saying, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. The, but you know, I, I mean, the, he's not going to critique wins at too great a length. Although I thought he he went in pretty significantly. Right, player yeah. scores a hat trick and for he's sure talking about their puck management. Um, you know, he, he's saying that's not our brand of hockey after that Predators game, and, and I agreed with him. You know, I, and I got a little unlucky in that I took the weekend off when they played the Blues and the Rangers, so I sort of watched the games PVR'd, and, um, you know, I liked a lot of what I saw, but I didn't see them live. So, you know, other than the home opener, which was a, a, just a sensational performance in the Nashville game in Nashville, and you can go read the glowing column I wrote because of how impressed I was by it, you know, I, I sort of catch them uh, on that sort of come down, and I'm just like, man, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't see an elite team here. I don't see a team trending toward elite here. Um, but I see a team that's clearly got fewer fatal flaws. I see a team that's no longer a- aiming a Gatling gun at their own feet um, in, in a variety of ways. Like, it's an improvement that at least when the bounces go this team's way, they can eat to the point that they can amass a 6-2-1 record. In, in, in previous years, even when the goaltending was great, like even when they had a run of great goaltending, you know, it was still going to be 5-4, and four, right? Like it still wasn't going to be the, the sort of – they still weren't going to have that sprinting speed that they have now. I do, I do think because they have a higher baseline, because at least they're putting together – really good performances about half the time. Uh, they've got a higher level. I just don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't think we really know what this team looks like because I don't feel like we've found like, a, a, I don't even think we know what just like a mid game looks like for this mm-hmm. team, like a mid game. And they've been so fortunate in terms of the percentages in so many ways, like at both ends of the ice that it is, you know, deceiving, like in terms of what I see when I watch this team play, or, or if you want to talk about this, like what's this team's identity? Well, this team's identity so far is things go their way, right? <laughs> They're the team for whom things go their way. And that's a great identity to have. It's just not an identity you can rely on over 82 games. So I, I, I'm at that point in the season where I'm impressed. I like a lot of what I see, but I'm like thirsty for a larger sample here. So that, so that I have... Um, you know, a greater sense um, of exactly what this team's quality is. We'll, we'll learn a lot over the course of this month. Drancer, how, how much better would you feel about this team if they had one more legit top four defenseman? Well, so the problem with that framing, okay, because you're right. I know what you're saying, and you're right. But I have a problem with the framing because, you know, I'm just trying to think of the right guy. Matt Dumba. You bring Matt Dumba in to be a Canucks defenseman. How much better does that make me feel about the team? Or, or you know, a Nikita Zadorov, right? I'm trying to think of conventional second-pair defensemen. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that would help. For sure that would help, right? That, that, one, thing, one thing I do think when you play a player like a Mark Friedman a little higher up the lineup, for example, is you do want, and this is one thing, by the way, Tyler Myers says, um, you do want a guy who's playing those sorts of minutes to feel like they can try and take the game by the horns and win it, right? Like, 
mm-hmm. Friedman's wired as, as a guy who's been a deft player to make the safe play. And that's great. That's exactly what you want for 12 minutes a night, 14 minutes a night. But once you get up to the 18, 19, 20 minutes a night, you know, you want a guy who um, rebound comes off the goalie's pillows sort of like into the high slot and you're the first guy on it. Are you really comfortable drilling it back at the net? You know, even if that might, should it, the bounce go against you? Well, Friedman, I mean, there was a perfect example of Friedman not doing that in... Last night. Yeah, last night. Yeah, Yeah, whenever it was. Where he spins (laughs) and does the safe regroup. Like, you know, I I want the defender to be scanning the ice and looking for the one-timer. Like, if you're playing big enough minutes, you want to have that sort of Friedman. uh, Freedom. Um, (laughs) In terms of how you're scanning and seeing the game. Um... But but for me, it's not like, you know, I, I mean, I think you bring in one of those second pair guys I mentioned as a Dorov Dumba class defender. And I think then you're talking about a team, you know, that, that may, maybe we're talking about a team whose true talent's like 100 points, right? A bona fide playoff mm-hmm. team as opposed to, um, you know, a team that for me anyway, I still sort of see as like, I've, I've probably seen enough in the early going to upgrade them from bubble team to like, yeah, expected playoff team. I'm not even talking about a guy that they could realistically bring in. I'm no, just, no, I'm I just don't. talking about like, let's say they had, exactly. a, let's say uh, Heronic was, uh, you know, had an identical twin, and, and and you bring him in, and he's, you know, you you have another, right. you know, you have another guy out there. Like, I guess what I, I guess yeah, what I'm getting at is like, need to aim higher though. Like, like right. Jason, what I think, what I think they need is like a star first pair defenseman. Yeah. Another star first pair defenseman. Now, I'm not saying Quinn Hughes, but you know, certainly certainly like a, a you know, a Devon Taves, Mikey Anderson class, like a, like a um Zach Whitecloud type, you know, like a real like bring him in, throw him in tough minutes, can do a bunch of stuff for you. Like that's the sort of thing that I think we're talking about here. You're you're you know, it, that's what it, that is what I'm talking about because I'm starting to think I'm starting to wonder like, can they get that? Is that is that feasible? Is it something that they should be looking at? You know, even if yeah. you have to throw in another first round draft pick. Oh man, I, I don't think you can. You have to be so careful. You have to be so careful with that, especially at this point of the season. You know, I, I think chasing after. Chasing after the short term further with 106 PDO like makes me queasy, makes me sick. Like you need to see this team play 30 games before you're doing something like that, especially given how overheated their percentages are. Like, see I'm what not even the- talking about doing it now. I'm just, you know, I'm no, just, know. I'm just wondering like where is this team going? Because well, we're having well, this conversation not. this morning about. Um, you know, JT Miller and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of pushing back on people that might be taking victory laps about the JT Miller contract. I'm like, it's still pretty early. And the, the whole, the whole idea, the whole, the whole debate around the decision to keep Miller was like, okay, is there going to be a Stanley cup contending team while he's still in his prime or, just when the team is ready to do that, is he going to start becoming a depreciating asset that becomes almost a drag on on the effort, right? So I'm wondering yeah. if the organization is thinking like, hey, like we need to take advantage of this right now and, and we need to be extra aggressive. Yeah, a season is so long. Like, do you remember when the 
Nashville Predators and the Montreal Canadiens traded Shea Weber and, and P.K. Subban, and then the Canadiens came out the gate 8-0, and and the Predators were struggling in the early going, and everyone declared, you know, wow, what a huge victory for Montreal, right? And um, the Predators make the Stanley Cup final that season. You know, like, the, the seasons are so long. They change so much. I, I remember another one. Uh, Tortorella and AV were traded effectively. <laughs> there was no assets that changed hands, but they took over each other's former club. And for the first month and a half of the season, Tortorella didn't put a foot out of place. AV was, AV's Rangers were a mess. Rangers end up in the Stanley Cup final. Like, we're nine games in. It's an 82 game season. These are so long. Like, our perception right now changes. And, and whether or not you're talking about, um, making the deal now or not, like, you know, I, I guarantee you there's enough excitement internally <laughs> that mm-hmm. it's at least being talked about. So, you know, that, that to me worries me, especially because I still look around and see, you know, I, I want to put this the right way. I, I still see a team whose success while built on, well built out of more substance than some of the other hot streaks I've seen from this team and faded. Uh, I, obviously, I'm talking about the Boudreaux bump. Um, you know, th- there's there's firmer stuff here. But, man, like, when, when you're I, – I, it's such a powerful thing to be chugging along with this sort of finishing and save percentage luck. And, and it is just random distribution. And it's one thing if it was just, like – you know, PD's two goals against Lankinen, for example. It's like, that's an elite sniper at the absolute top of his game. And if it was just Demko stealing games, that would be one thing. But it's also DeSmith, right? And it's also, the, you know, the goal that goes off Sam Lafferty, right? Like, it's, it's so many Hey, that was a good header. Goals. It was. It was. So, but so, many, <laughs> so many greasy pucks at the net front are just, like, landing on Canucks players' sticks, right? There, There's... there's some credit, in fact, a fair bit of credit for just like going to the net, playing simple hockey. But you can play simple hockey with as much discipline as you like, and you're still not going to get, you know, four deflection goals and like five blue paint sitters over a nine game stretch every nine games, right? Like that's just not how hockey works. So I just need to see what it looks like when this team's not running downhill at a speed unrivaled by anyone else in the league. It's gonna it's gonna change our perception a lot, and you know if this is a if this is the team we think they are right like if this is the team that that you know is capable of ending this playoff drought and and of playing a really fun hockey this season they're still gonna find ways to grind out wins when that happens I just I just need to see it I, I personally I need to see it I haven't seen enough to do more than upgrade this from you know a team that I saw as being like in that fringe playoff mix before the season to being like a for sure playoff team. And before you're trading firsts or like meaningful futures, I think you need to think that you're, you know, a contender to be like second in the Pacific with a real shot to do damage in the playoffs. And, um, you know, I I don't think we're going to get there in terms of concluding that about this team for at least another 21 games. Like we need to see 30 before, before I think those conversations should be had seriously. Um, You know, and then that includes internally too. 
So uh, your cohort at The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun, had a really interesting piece that just went live a little while ago. Uh, the subhead was, what's behind the Canucks surge? And he did an interesting thing. He reached out to a bunch of the coaches that have lost to the Canucks already this season. Paul Maurice of the Panthers, John Cooper of the Lightning, Andrew Burnett of the Predators, and Craig Berube of the Blues. And they were all very mm. complimentary of the Canucks and everything. Berube, uh, Brunette had the most interesting takeaway for me and Pierre as he speed, writes. Right? He said, quote, the Canucks have been the best team we have seen this year in pressuring both sides of the puck, taking time and space away. Now, this is a coach that's gone up against some really good teams this year. Tampa Bay, yeah. Seattle, Boston, Edmonton, New York, Toronto. Like, Brunette's seen some teams this year. For him to say that the Canucks have been the best in terms of pressuring both sides of the puck. I think that's a really interesting takeaway. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, he also called them fast. Like this yeah. was in his in his uh, morning skate briefing on Tuesday. Brunette said that the Canucks were the fastest team they'd played this year, and that that was like gobsmacking to me. Um, so no, I mean they're playing good hockey. They're one thing. One thing that I noticed a lot late in that Predators game was the Canucks started rolling that fourth line. And man, when you have Hoaglander and Lafferty, for example, on your fourth line, as opposed to whatever other players we've watched play in those spots over the last six, seven years, you're, you're so much faster. Yeah, That's Lafferty's deep, been right? a great pickup, I, I have to say. I've really liked yeah, what been, he's brought. He's been solid. Yeah. He's been solid. Um, so, you know, I, I, look, I mean, I, I think they have been playing well. I think, there again, there is substance to this, right? And And one thing I'd note, too, is like, the the uh, analytics inclined might point at like Vancouver's expected goals to, uh, sort of um, percentage and say that's a little soft, but it's so early that to bin shots doesn't really help me. Like I'd expect them to be far closer to fifty percent than the forty seven percent or forty six percent or whatever that they're at. Like I, I'm I'm actually fading their most troubling underlying indicator as something that will regress toward, you know, 50, because I think they're a team that can come out about even uh, at five on five, like on mm-hmm. true talent. Um, they're doing a lot of things well, and, and I'm not taking anything away from that. I just think six, two and one with the third best goal differential in the league, like that's an elite run. They're on an elite run. And I'm not at the point where I'm saying this is an elite team. And for anyone who's saying, oh, Drance being so negative, like you're not either, right? Like people are, most, most people aren't saying this team is um is elite what they're off to is, is a good start and that's a huge and welcome departure from what we've seen in the past we'll see if they can keep it going in november i think the schedule should be pretty like this is a this is a nice moment for this mm. team to hit right like this is favorable for the next little bit even though they have two tough games coming up on the other side of this sharks game and man with with what else has shaken out in the pacific division like yeah. This team doesn't need to do that much more good work here for, for another couple of weeks before it's like highly unlikely that they miss the playoffs. It's at least tempting and enjoyable to be tempted to get ahead of yourself as mm-hmm. opposed to what it was last season, which was just well, like... Your Calgary zone. Yeah. You know, where it's just like, well, you have to play at a 110-point pace. Yeah. And it's like, well, that team doesn't have that yeah. in them. And we suck. Yeah. And <laughs> so we're, that's going to be yeah, hard. Not that. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> there, there's no, there's, you know, it's it, it's over. Like, it's over in a league with three-point games if you if you get five points from your first ten. Um, and likewise, right, like we're going to reach a point where if Edmonton, for example, doesn't surge pretty significantly here in the next, you know, honestly, ten days, like ten days here. 
if the Oilers don't pick up a ton of points, the balance of probability is that the Canucks are going to finish ahead of the Oilers. Like really quickly, we're going to reach that point where that's far more likely than not. And man, there is no way you're missing the playoffs if you're finishing ahead of Calgary and Edmonton. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, this is, uh, this is phenomenal. How much sticking power does it have in terms of this team being more than just in the playoffs, right? That's the, that's the big question for me now. Um, and we'll find out a lot about that over the course of the month of November. Transfer, thanks for this, bud. Appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll do this again next week. Cheers, guys. Bye. Uh, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You're listening to the best of Halford & Bruff.